Welcome to Idaho Speaks, the place to learn about candidates and issues important to Idaho. My name is Ed, and I created this channel to overcome the media bias that plagues our communities and our state. When presented all the information, I believe you, the voter, will make the best decision for our future. At Idaho Speaks, we will give you the side of the story being hidden by mainstream media and big tech giants. My name is David Worley, and I'm the Southeast Idaho interviewer for the Idaho Speaks team. Our goal is to give you, the voter, as much access as possible to the field of state and local candidates around Idaho. Ed and I both do interviews, so if you as a candidate find yourself in a situation where you need to speak directly to the voters and are having trouble getting through the mainstream media, please reach out and we will do our best to get you on the program. We want to give Republican and conservative candidates a platform to communicate their ideas in a long-form format so that you, the voter, has the best information available to make your choice on election day. Idaho Speaks, your issues, your candidates, your state. Welcome to Idaho Speaks, boy. We are almost there. It is almost election day. Have you registered to vote? I cannot say this enough. Last year, my wife and I, we did early voting rather than not, not the um, absentee ballot, but early voting. We went to the election office down on um, fourth or third street, well, between third and fourth street in Coeur d'Alene, and darn, I parked closest to the door. We walked right in. They printed out our ballot. We sat down, we voted, and we were done. It wasn't like on election day where we stand in line and you know, my back can't take it. I'm an old man. I, I'm just not healthy enough to do that stuff. Walk from the back 40 of the parking lot. It was so easy. There is absolutely no excuse to not vote. Now, let me tell you how important it is to vote. We have just about every seat being made available this go-round. And in May, they're the primary. On the Republican side, it's a closed primary. On the Democrat side, it's an open primary. What that means is, in order to vote for your Republican du jour, you have to be registered as a Republican. If you want to vote for a Democrat, you don't have to register as a Democrat. You can vote on a Democrat ticket. You just got to ask for a Democrat ballot. The intent here is, I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm just saying vote. Because if we get to May 18th and find out that only 20% of the potential voters turned out to make the selection, then that means that potentially less than 10% of the population is going to make you settle with who's elected. And based on what has been printed in the newspaper over the last oh, year and a half, there's a lot of people who are very disappointed with what's been happening around here. I'm not I'm not going to go one way or another with regards to whether the paper is right. <laughs> if you've been listening to Idaho Speaks, you already know where I stand on that point. But in the last election, the last primary election like this two years ago, there was only 18% of the electorate that turns out. So if people are going to complain that they're not happy with the leaders that they got, yet they didn't turn out and vote, then that is their own darn fault. 
We have time to fix that. It's not like you've passed the deadline and can't register. You can register right up to the day of the election. Now, with me in studio today, we're going to talk to somebody who's running for the job to oversee those elections, among other things. With me in studio, I've got Mike Bauer. Mike, thank you so much for taking time to come in and talk with Idaho Speaks. Thank you, Ed. It's a pleasure to be here with Idaho Speaks today. Perfect, perfect. So we're going to start in with kind of the soft shoe questions, give the listeners an idea of who you are as a person. So who is Mike? Well, Mike Bauer was born in Taft, California. It's an oil town just west of Bakersfield. I was raised for some part of my childhood in uh, Oildale, North Bakersfield, where my father thought it would be good if my brothers and I went out and learned to pick cotton. And we actually picked cotton, 25 cents for a huge bag we got. But it taught me some work ethics as a young man. My father then moved to Southern California, where he worked for Standard Oil, El Segundo Refinery, and we then finished our education in the Torrance area of Southern California. When I was 19 years old, I joined the Sheriff's Department in Los Angeles. I was a corrections officer on my 21st birthday. I... uh, 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 became a deputy sheriff, uh, and uh, on my 25th, almost 26th birthday, I was promoted to sergeant. I've been in supervision uh, for the rest of my time uh, in supervision and management. I retired as a captain after 33 years. Um, I uh, uh, retired, left, I went to Mammoth Lakes, uh, did some house building up there, moved to Trout Creek, Montana in 2002, where I bought a 182-acre hay farm. And I learned how to cut hay, <laughs> much to the well, surprise. Than cotton, at least. <laughs> yeah, much to the surprise of my neighbors who were hoping for failure. Uh, I was able to cut uh, uh, 90 acres of grass hay every year for nine years. And uh, having had enough of that, I sold that property to a farmer from South Dakota, and uh, a cash purchase, and moved to Harrison, Idaho, t- over a little over 10 years ago. I live above Carlin Bay. My wife Joanne and I. We have four horses. We have now three German Shepherds left. We used to have six. Uh, and, you know, that's, a tr- uh, that's always a very traumatic uh, situation when you lose your animals. Oh, my goodness, yes. Uh, I have a 23 uh, rowan ducks. I have two Pekin ducks. I have chickens. Uh, and uh, all this keeps me busy when I'm not uh, involved in uh, local politics, uh, county politics, which I uh, became involved in on the ULUC matter first in uh, 2013. And then um, after that, uh, it was the opt-out program I was involved in uh, advocating for that for owner-builder uh, uh, opt-out of the uh, county system. And, uh, and following that, uh, in 2020, I ran for sheriff of Kootenai County. I got 18,702 votes as an independent. Uh, that didn't sit too well with my Republican friends, but uh, it was a reason I ran. And so since then, I took a look at what was available to continue my interest in county government, and I saw that the clerk's position was coming up. I was hoping Jim Brannon would run again because I'd really like to uh, uh, sit down with him in in a public forum and debate him, and he decided not to run, and his uh, uh, chief clerk, uh, Jennifer uh, Locke, who's a very nice person, I met her recently at Micah Flats, uh, she's now running for this position, so I find myself running against her. Right. And I, just for the record, so everybody hearing, I have extended an invitation out to Mrs. Locke to come on the program so that you can hear her 
directly, uh, as is tradition on Idaho Speaks, it's not my opinion that matters. It's your opinion that matters. And you can only form that opinion if you hear from the candidates directly. So now I love dogs. My wife and I, we have two golden retrievers and, and you, you always had German shepherds or. I had um, cats in my previous life and I met my wife in Mammoth Lakes uh, and she had uh, three German shepherds. They're a great animal. They're wonderful. And uh, we, we, in Montana, we began breeding and we uh, got that up to about eight. Mm-hmm. I have a picture of them on our, on our uh, bed in our master bedroom. And it's quite astounding to see. And they were all beautiful animals, really wonderful, dedicated, loyal. And, and, and so my wife got me into the German shepherd world uh, as opposed to some other breed. Now, what was, what's one of the character traits of the German shepherd that you like the most? Protection. Uh, they will, if you're walking, uh, one will assign themselves to make sure everybody keeps up, that you're okay, and they're checking on you constantly instead of you having to check on them. That's been what I observe the most. Uh, they're a dog that a lot of people are put off by. They're, they appear to be aggressive. They're, they're, most of the ones I know have not been aggressive at all. Uh, our uh, favorite dog right now is a dog named Thor that we got from German Shepherd Rescue in Orange County. He'd been adopted and returned three times, oh and he is a, he's a handful. Uh, he would be what you would characterize as a junkyard-type dog, uh, but he's a wonderful soul. And uh, uh, You know, dogs are what you train them to be. While there are some environmental and social and exterior forces that can uh, create a personality issue, um, you know, I just find dogs just to be the greatest creature. If I, if I could just be half the man my dogs think I am, then I would be fulfilling my mission God put me out here to do. My wife believes that dog is, uh, these dogs are the best judge of character, and that's been borne out with our experience. I totally agree with your wife on that one. So, all right, well, you answered the question about your profession. What did you like, what did you like most about being a sheriff? I mean, I know you were in management. But why the sheriff? Why not police? Why not FBI? Well, I needed a job uh, because I had a, a son who had just been born when I was uh, 18, and the sheriff's department was hiring and expanding. And that department went from, I think, 6,000 people when I joined to maybe 13,500 when I left. So it was expanding, and there was opportunity. And in, that, in those years, I worked intelligence. I worked patrol. I worked uh, 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 the training bureau. I worked uh, help, help found a risk management bureau, which is kind of a unique, uh, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a anti uh, uh, civil litigation unit, you know. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, and and then I became uh, uh, a lieutenant at the women's jail, Civil Brand Institute for Women, which is a, another remarkable experience for anybody. Uh, f- following that. I was promoted to captain and placed in charge of the Special Enforcement Bureau, which is the SWAT teams, the uh, uh, mounted patrols, the canine unit. And at the same time, as a budget saving, uh, our department had joint commands. I was in charge of the uh, Aero Bureau in Long Beach and our entire helicopter and air fixed wing squads down in Long Beach. And this was for a period of about three years. Following that, my last assignment was captain of organized crime, special investigations, uh, terrorism, uh, Asian organized crime, and these uh, uh, vice unit and these sort of functions in a consolidated command. And so I, what I liked about the job was um, I had a, 
in that my 33 years, I had opportunities to do many, many different things that uh, in a smaller department wouldn't, would not have been possible. Sure. Sure. How many years total were you a sheriff? 33. 33 years. Well, thank you for your service. Greatly appreciate well, thank that. You. that. You're the fifth person that said that in my life. Yeah. <laughs> That's usually reserved for military. Well, no, understand I'm, I'm a vet, but still you're out there on the streets. You're keeping our neighborhoods and our community safe. And uh, that's a thankless job. Somebody's got to thank you, and and that's me. So thank you, sir. Um, let's start with let's give give the listeners kind of an idea of what it is you're running for. So, what exactly is the job of county clerk? You know, I think a lot of people have a misconception about what that job is. The county clerk, in my opinion, um is is a um, kind of an overseer of the internal operations of the county. Uh, he's the auditor, so the clerk is responsible to have an auditing section to make sure the financial uh, dealings of the department are all uh, in order. And that's order. of the entire county, right? The, yes, the entire county. Right. Uh, he, he, is a, he is in charge of monitoring, or she is in charge of monitoring the, uh, the budget and the uh, uh, adherence to the budget uh, in, on an ongoing basis through the year to make sure that the various departments are not uh, overspending. Uh, the the clerk is in charge of uh, of the uh, uh, minutes and the records of the BOCC, the county commissioner's operation. Uh, the county clerk's uh, responsible for the uh, district court. In fact, the to- the formal name is clerk of the district court. That's the legal name, and it's commonly f- referred to as the county clerk. Uh, uh, the uh, c- uh, county clerk is responsible for our county welfare program, uh, commonly referred to here as the indigent program. And that, uh, strangely enough, is also audited by himself, <laughs> uh, which is a little bit of a conflict. But uh, uh, that program is, uh, uh, is run out of the clerk's office. And then lastly, the most commonly known is the election chief election officer for the county. And this is where most people spend their time thinking about the clerk, in yeah, my opinion, I mean, when some of these others may be equally, equally as important to right. the county. And so the clerk knows the expenditures. The clerk does the payroll, writes uh, out of the uh, auditor's office, writes uh, everyone's check. The clerk knows what uh, projects uh, are being funded. The clerk knows what the BOCC has on their agenda. Uh, and they make sure that's properly documented for the open meetings law. Uh, so the clerk has got his fingers into everything in the county, and I think that is why uh, the clerk position can be a kind of a contentious right. race <laughs> because they want to make sure whoever has that job is properly has proper uh, experience and training sure. and constitution uh, to, to do that job. I see it more as an um, inspector general position for the county. We don't have what most states have, a grand jury type system which examines uh, on an ongoing basis efficiency and effectiveness of government. And so the clerk has to fill that role in, at the county level, in my opinion, because I don't believe the attorney general has enough time to get out into these counties sure. and actually examine what we're doing except on complaint. Right, right. Uh, and the, uh, the benefit of having someone like me in this job is that I have investigative experience. So you uh, know that Ken Howard uh, 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 residency was questioned 
it went to the attorney general for an opinion, and they came back and said it's the responsibility of the county clerk to verify the residency of people whose positions that they're elected to require residency. That's a new uh, requirement from what I can see that the county clerk's going to have to do. Uh, you have your uh, complaints. They're not often, but there are some of uh, campaign finance violation complaints that have to be investigated. And when I look at the, uh, the, uh, the people who have held this job before, uh, I see a little bit of a lack of investigative experience because like I personally could put a case together on any of these things in about three days and get it to the prosecutor to see if he wants to do anything about it or not. The last person uh, who had investigative experience was uh, died in 2013 in office was Cliff Hayes. He was the chief of uh, Post Falls Police Department for 22 years. And from what I understand, talking to people, he was a great uh, asset to the clerk's office. After he passed away, the appointment uh, went to uh, Jim Brannon, and Jim Brannon then stood for election two terms and is not standing now. So I see the clerk as an inspector general as much as any other job, and all these concerns about our election integrity and all that falls on the clerk's head to make sure that our machines are secure, our personnel are secure, that our consultants are properly screened and checked out. And, of course, my uh, uh, thinking is that we have a lot of critics from outside the system believing that we might not have a secure system, including uh, Lieutenant Colonel Giddings, who believes we're th says we're 38 out of 50 in states in, in election security, and we should be a lot higher up. We should be, well, ideally number one mm -hmm. in election security. And how do you do that? By designing and implementing processes and systems to make sure it's secure. And whether that's well, the equipment that the, uh, that the uh, uh, Secretary of State requires us to buy, or whether it's the, uh, the processes we use inside to guard and protect our ballots, um, and whether or not we should or should not be using electronic poll books as opposed to going to paper again. A lot of right. people want to go back to paper. Right, right. Which, and we're going to touch on, on yeah. the five different roles of the county clerk, but that, that's a great uh, overview of what the job is. Now, let me, let me ask kind of a follow-up question because I, I, I'm willing to bet the listeners of Idaho Speaks don't really know these answers. So, what, what is the current annual budget for the county of Kootenai County? I can't answer that question. I don't know. I don't know, but I would say if it were $100 million, I would be surprised. Okay. Now we have... And, uh, and do you know what the, what the current expense budget for the county clerk is? No, we have a little over 100 employees, and I don't know what the budget amount okay. is. All right. But it's uh, on the scale of the operations that I managed in the L.A. County Sheriff's Department, very small. Gotcha. Okay. So why are you running for the job? I believe that it was the right, I'm the right person at the right time to handle the problems we're facing today. And that, in the main, is that we need some strong leadership in there. Uh, we need to get our arms around uh, uh, election integrity. Uh, we need to uh, make sure that, uh, uh, that the perceptions of the public are put to rest that they're that they are comfortable with the fact that in this county uh we have the most secure elections possible you may have heard that uh in uh, missoula montana they had 4500 uh ballots that they counted that didn't have envelopes and it was an all mail-in ballot there are places around that you would assume are safe and that they're secure 
and they may not be exactly or that there are outliers uh, in some places uh, causing these. We don't want to be one of those. And so I believe my law enforcement experience, the integrity, I've never, never been in any disciplinary matter in my entire career, never been accused of any sort of ethical, uh, 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 you know, irresponsibility. Uh, I've, I've always had uh, uh, outstanding evaluations in that field, in law enforcement field, and I've been to a half a million career integrity workshops, which impress on you and your fellow workers and your subordinates that integrity is the most important thing in a public service because of the trust that the public places in you. Perfect. Now, when elected, what are two things that you want to get accomplished within your first term in office? I want to get a grip on the budget. That's so you know that if the uh, optional forms of government is put in place, if it's on the ballot, and if it passes, the proposal is that the budget be removed from the clerk and taken to the county executive. And how do you feel about that? Um, I don't think it's necessary. I think it's more necessary that the right person selected as clerk to manage the budget and that, and that department managers are held responsible for keeping in their budget and that's the BOCC's responsibility. And it's the inspector general clerk who tells the BOCC, you need to look at this elected official, that elected official, and that elected official because they're going to run you into the ground if that's happening. I don't think it is, but that's the role. I think that's more important than having it. However, if the voters of this county decide they want a, a uh, county executive and they want to add two more commissioners, well, that's their call. And I'll be happy to uh, turn that over to that person. Uh, I'll let them uh, have whatever uh, assistance they need to get their feet on the ground and do that job. And that would be one less thing uh, for me to do. And I could work on election security more. Gotcha. Okay, so budget, that's number one. What else? Number two, I want to set up a, a, a voter fraud hotline. I want the perception that if you think someone is coming in from Spokane and signing themselves up in an apartment building out in Post Falls and that they're not really living here and that they're going to draw a ballot and vote, I want to make sure the public knows I'm checking that out. We're supposed to live here for 30 days. That's supposed to be checked. How do you do that on election day? How do you do it when you have hundreds of people coming in and registering on election day to prove that they brought the right documents from wherever they are and that they've been here for 30 days? That's the law. You don't want to follow the law? Well, then why should we follow any of these other laws? That's a law. That, that's the sort of uh, issue that you get into. And if you put these electronic uh, uh, poll books in and they, uh, they record a driver's license, well, who checks that? What's the database that's checked against? What's the database that checks against uh, that, you're a, that you're a felon on parole, which you can't vote in Idaho until you're off of parole? Is, there, is that interface in place? That's something that I... I wanted so election security has a lot of areas in which they can be audited, uh, beefed up, improved, and the voters then will know that the rest of the country can go to pot, but in Idaho we got it. <laughs> We're going to be secure. We got it handled. Gotcha, gotcha. So uh, recently, the um, the legislators in Boise took up an issue. I, I don't want to go too deep into the legislation, but part of it was to disqualify use of student ID for a valid form of voter ID. Where do you come down with regards to that? Understanding that you're not a policy position, but as county clerk, what, what are your thoughts about the acceptable forms of ID? 
I think a government identification that has the backing of the state um, is the uh, is is the the appropriate form of identification, the most secure form of identification. And I would, uh, you know, I would uh, hold out for that as a requirement. Uh, the 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 problem with uh, these uh, uh, various proposals to allegedly increase voter participation uh, should not involve decreasing election integrity. Gotcha. No, and that, that makes total sense. I, let, let's talk just a little bit about each of the areas. Now, in the budget, it looks like district court, clerk of the district court, is the largest budget line item. What in that role do you feel, <laughs> this is a tough question to ask. I'm just going to talk it out and see if we can find a question in there together, but I, I'm an efficiencies guy. One of the reasons I'm a Republican is because I like less government. I, I believe in the government that governs least governs best. I'm a, I'm a true Reaganite when it comes to that. Mm. So since that's the biggest budget line item as a businessman myself, when I'm trying to trim the fat in my business, I always sort my expense sheet by the expense and I look at the highest expense line item. And that's where I start trimming. So if I look at it, the highest expense line item in your budget would be the district courts. What in that arena do you feel you could improve either efficiencies or improve the overall budget line item? Well, you notice that the uh, optional forms of government did not say that they were going to take any responsibility for the district court clerk process away from the clerk. So the clerk is going to manage that. And it is uh, what I would consider a mandated service. Some services are optional, some are mandated. I could spend more money on optional security for elections, but I have to spend the money on what the district court needs. The district court is, of course, our uh, 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 state court system requires the county clerk to provide the services that they say they need, not that I say they need. So my options in that in cutting that have to do with hiring, staffing, employee satisfaction, um, uh, which, which is an area I, I really would like to get into. Uh, and well, so, well, let's get into that. Let's, okay. let's well, talk about employee okay. satisfaction. And- Let me t- let's talk about uh, when you see a bulletin on Facebook that the county government wants to hire and, they char- and they're going to pay $18 an hour to start, and you go by McDonald's and you see that McDonald's is $18 an hour. You say, why should I put up with driving downtown when I could uh, work at McDonald's and even get free food? I mean, it's the sort of the situation where you say, are the, are the employees being paid enough to live in this environment with the increasing costs we have for housing and, and, and now inflation? Uh, the other issue, in my opinion, is the at-will uh, hiring and firing process. Okay? And uh, most people do not know that in Idaho – Government employees serve at will. There's no civil service in Idaho. Uh, one of my uh, uh, endorsers for this office, uh, Pierce Clegg, who was a sheriff, and we talked about this and how the sheriff's office implemented an at w- a, a for cause instead of an at will uh, disciplinary, disciplinary process. There's no grievance process. There's no uh, uh, civil service hearings. There's nothing what you'd see in other states. Which so are, do you want to get rid of the at will and go to a for cause? I I the sheriff's office has gone to it. Uh, Sheriff Wolfinger implemented 
for cause terminations okay, for the majority of his personnel. I don't see why that shouldn't spread somewhere else. The problem is that you get limited government. People say, oh, you want collective bargaining, Bauer. No, I don't want collective bargaining. I don't want employees to be abused by having getting crossways with somebody. And then they say, you're fired. You're gone today. And I don't have to give you a reason. And I can do it for any reason or no reason. Okay. And these employees know that. So now do you think that any of them is going to be a whistleblower? Do you think any of them is going to stand up to, to, to recommend something that their boss doesn't want to do if they know they can be fired at will right now for no reason? And is that being abused? In a few cases, I've seen it mostly at a little bit higher level. I don't know. I haven't surveyed. As I, I don't have access to these employees, you know, as, a, right. as a, just a citizen. So I think that just suggesting that I work with the personnel director, who is, by the way, works for the prosecutor, that I work with them to say, I want to implement a four cause and I want to give these employees some due process when they do something wrong rather than fire them. I want to, I want to have a, a, a disciplinary schedule for various, various uh, misconduct that, that doesn't go straight to firing because then you've got a county employee who knows they could be out, out of a job at any time with bills, with a family, with a lot of responsibility. It's just not right, in my opinion. And when you look at a number, there's a number of situations in Idaho that are really peculiar. That's one of them. The undersheriff makes more than the sheriff by about $20,000. And you say, well, that's kind of not a civil service type of model that you expect to see from ordinary uh, civil service type uh, history, which is what I grew up in. I didn't need the disciplinary process I didn't screw up, but I was happy to administer it to employees who felt that they were unfairly disciplined by a supervisor that didn't like them. Okay. And that's the problem. Gotcha. Now I understand that the, the county is already about 10% short of the number of employees that they need. Understanding you're running for a position that's roughly 10% of the budget of, of the Kootenai County annual budget. That doesn't mean you're 10% of the employees, but assuming you're going to walk into the job on day one and, and you're 10 or 15% shy on the number of employees you need to accomplish your mission, what does a county clerk Bauer do to fix the problem? How do you attract new people? Well, in the short run, you work on efficiency and effectiveness. Do you need all those employees and you watch, you, you see what, how they're spending their time and you make sure that the workload they have is a workload that they should have or whether that can be consolidated. I told you earlier, I worked two bureaus. I worked the Aero Bureau, which has a separate ca captain now, and at the same time I was a captain of the Special Enforcement Bureau, and they saved the cost of a captain, okay, which is at that time even was over $100,000 a year. So I think looking at the workload uh, of the employees and, and making them more efficient uh, in, a, in an uh, economically effective way, whether it's equipment or processes or, the, or, or a, a workload adjustments. And then it's having the employees want to work there, having them want to work there. They've got a job, they have bills, they have families, they, they have needs, and they, they need to come to work knowing that the workplace is not oppressive, the workplace is not hostile, the workplace is fun, the workplace is, uh, is a team effort. Uh, that uh, they have to have some pride in the uh, in their county service, you know. So 
and this uh, this is where the person that walks through the door as the leader of the organization should get smiles and not get people to look away. Okay, <laughs> and I and I've I, and I so many assignments I've been to as a sergeant, a lieutenant, and a captain, where I walk in the unit and they said, "Oh, what are we in for now?" Right. And within a few days, they relax and they say, "Okay, this guy's not going to go. He's not going to." change our lives. This guy's not going to be mad. He's not going to yell at us every day when there's a problem. You know, he's not going to be getting on us about the problems. The problem is his, you know, and that's in a matter of attitude, leadership, and setting the tone in the office that you're not an ogre, that you're a good boss, that you're right. a fair, that you're a fair boss. And if I say to them, I would sure like to get rid of that will, they'll know I'm fair. And now the county people can say, you don't want to do that. You know, in the long run, it'll bite you. But that's the sort of thing that sends a message to them. I care about you. I care about you having due process. You screw something up, fine. But if you, but if, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bite your head off. Sure, sure. Now, I mean, there's five functional titles for county clerk: auditor, recorder, elections, county assistants, district court. And honestly, we could talk here for two or three hours mm -hmm. going through all of them. And, and realistically, that's just not possible. Um, so. What I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of skip ahead. I don't think many folks have questions that are just burning in their heart. I really got to ask this question about what's he going to do as an auditor. You're going to follow generally accepted accounting principles, right? Of course. <laughs> so, well, okay, there let's we say got this. You're going to put an elected lay individual with law enforcement experience in that office. You're not putting in a CPA. Right. Okay? And, but there should be CPAs available to that clerk. And there will be. There, have well, to, there it, has to be who follow audit practices. Well, and the rules clearly state, I just read them today, that uh, you follow U.S. GAAP policy. So it, that's spelled out, and GAAP clearly identifies GAAP, G-A-A-P, Generally Accepted Accounting Principles. Um, it spells out how the books are supposed to be done, how an audit is done. So all of that stuff is there. I don't think people have a burning question with regards to how an auditor works, but go ahead. Okay, on that point, okay, uh, accepted uh, auditing practices implies that the structure of the purchasing and the structure of the expenditures uh, has the proper redundancy and is not uh, left Ooh, in one left yes. in one individual's hands. So there's no supervision because. You remember the lady whose husband fell off the boat? Mm -hmm. okay. 400000 later. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Too much Benadryl. And it uh, turns out that uh, she had uh, some financial problems in, her, in the government operation that she was involved in. So is, did that get too far because it did not have proper auditing by anybody in the county or in the government uh, who had uh, overseeing her? And do we have operations going on right now that need additional oversight? And this is why I say we have no grand jury. We have no real oversight process other than the initiative and the, uh, I would say, uh, courage of the clerk to step in and look at these situations. One other point is that our indigent program pays for medical bills. The hospital is receiving money from the county for medical bills. Now, When's the last time that was audited to say that's an efficient, efficient and effective use of county money to compensate the hospital? Is the hospital complying with the Idaho Patient Act, which requires them to handle their billing in a certain way now 
in which they give the person a chance to appeal their bills and that sort of thing, which is a change uh, that's taken place in the last several years. And should that be, should their compliance be audited there as a function of the county because they're in a, they're in a taxing district and they are now maybe subject to the uh, auditing uh, review of, of the clerk. So now, just like the clerk now may go out and say, I'm now in charge of whether you live where you said you lived because you're holding office. Well, that seems a little bit aggressive, but that's what the attorney general said about mm-hmm. Ken Howard. Are you kidding me? I got to, I got to. Well, not just Ken Howard, but uh, there was the, a young lady on the um, optional forms of government committee that her residency was called into question as well. Exactly. So has that been a job of the clerk? No. And who in the clerk's office is going to go out and do that? Does that come from auditor? Does that come from the uh, from the uh, district court staff? Does that come from the election staff? Who does that? Or does the clerk himself do it? Right. And so now, BOCC, we got a problem. We need to have some resources here to handle this function, or you need to go back to the attorney general and tell them we can't do that. Right, right. Well, okay, so let's shift over to recorder, because now – this is an important position. I'm yes. A, I'm yes. a data guy. I, yes. I do a lot of research before these interviews, and I have to count on websites, and those websites are dependent on the recorders doing their job. Yes. Putting yes. the information mm-hmm. on there so that I can read it. Um, tell me, in your opinion, what is the role of the recorder, and what do you bring to the table to either improve the efficiencies or, or make that function perform better? Okay, the business community relies on the recorders for our deeds and our various uh, legal documents. It our every seems like every legal process, including your your uh, auctions and your property property auctions, storage facilities, to uh, uh, just uh, any number of uh, functions need to be properly recorded because it's a public record, and so it's very important that the uh, that the recorder be uh, efficient and that the recorder. Uh, uh, staff uh, not make mistakes because these mistakes are going to cost somebody some money and the county can get sued or somebody's going to lose some assets. What I find interesting is that when you watch TV today and they talk about all of these uh, credit uh, monitoring services, they're beginning to have a recorder standing there, a clerk saying, I am uh, uh, every, uh, every day I uh, inspect to make sure we don't have fraudulent documents being filed in, uh, in my county. They're beginning to assume, to, to assume that the clerk is going to assume that responsibility, that the recorder staff is going to have something to say about the validity of the document that's filed. That's another new role hmm. that society is foisting off onto the clerk, which may be appropriate, may not be appropriate, but if that's the way we're going to head into the uh, uh, validating the legitimacy, obviously a recorder, experienced recorder, uh, per, a personnel is going to know something that's not right and bring it to somebody's attention, uh, obviously. And we'll say that would get to the sheriff or that would get to the, uh, eventually to the prosecutor for some sort of dealing with. But, but just the concept that the clerk is now responsible for things that are filed being legitimate, that, right. that's the public impression being put out by the commercial world onto the clerk. And the clerk's going to have to deal with that eventually. Well, and, you know, even identity theft. I mean, yeah, verifying that the documents that are being submitted are legally allowed to be submitted by that individual. Right. Does that fall on the shoulders of the county clerk? Uh, that would probably be an attorney general opinion. But I will say this. In my experience in law enforcement, 
uh, was uh, over 50% investigative. Okay, And so investigative experience is important in making judgments that are going to affect people's outcome and their bottom line. And that if you make mistakes, you're going to get sued. Right. It right. has to be done right. Okay? Sure. But that's the world I came from. Gotcha. Because we put out millions of dollars every year for beatings, shootings, dog bites, and mistakes made by the civil division. Okay. In, uh, in, in uh, repossessions and all those sorts. Of if they weren't done exactly right, we ended up having to pay. Right. And that's no different here, except we don't have a strong plaintiff's bar here chasing down law enforcement, chasing down government functions like they do in other places. And, sure. and it's probably good. Uh, in another way, uh, these plaintiffs, uh, 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 plaintiff's bar activities uh, tend to conform you to the law, to the letter of the law. Right, right. Well, before we run out of time, I have to touch on elections. It, it just, <laughs> you know, but I saved this one for last because I don't want to litigate the last election. That's not what the listeners of Idaho are looking for. There's lots of shock podcasts where, where they, can, they can get all of the, the diatribe about how bad the last election was. I want to know about the next election that you oversee. And, and I've got a very specific question. How are you going to verify that the election you run is correct, done right? Let's uh, set the stage that um, I'm running in a primary and that I'm, uh, if I... Yeah, the, we would be talking about the first election, the March first, 2023. That's correct. Right. That was my point was right. that, that anything I recommend will not be implemented no matter how good it sounds to your audience no, now. No, that's right. And that's what they want to know. What are you going to do 2023 going okay, forward? January, starting January 2023, I'm, I'm going to really survey the critics of the, the, the critics of uh, election integrity because I've become, throughout this Trump period and throughout this whole period of time, I've become a student of election fraud theory. I don't mean conspiracy. I mean theory. How can you manipulate? You know how hackers are hired by the federal agencies because they know how to get in mm -hmm. and do things. White hacker. Okay? That's yeah. right. And we need to start looking carefully at these people like Dr. Clements, who was here at, uh, uh, at Candlelight Church recently. He was very critical of our system. We need to start looking at those people and not taking them uh, and not dismissing them, taking them seriously and say, where are we help us understand how we can be secure. If you're going to be critical of us and like a, a, a Giddings, if you're going to be critical of us, tell us what it is you think we can do to make it more secure. So my first thing is going to be that our machines are the proper machines we should have. You got a new secretary of state coming in. Okay. That's going to happen in January. Also, that person's going to be in charge of our machines. Okay, are they, uh, are, are, let's assume that they are uh, doing an open competitive bidding and that they've done the research and use whatever resources they have to make sure those machines are secure and that they agree that the electronics of them and the communications between machines, between uh, these uh, electronic poll books and the databases of voters in those and the machines which are calculating that those things are communicating properly and securely, which we don't know, but we hear right. all kinds of stories. Well, you know, what? who was, I don't remember if it was Shepard or if it was Armstrong, but you know we're we're sitting on a machine with a million moving parts built by the lowest bidder. 
Yeah. Okay. And and that's the uh, that's just the cynicism of government because government, uh, if government can screw it up, they will screw that's it up. That's right. Okay. So my personal view is that I'm going to I'm going to make the vendor prove to me that that's safe to use in my county. That's what I'm going to do. Okay. Starting in January, if I have this office. And they're going to, and they're not going to be happy with that. They may not be happy with what I'm saying now, and they probably shouldn't be, because if those machines are, as Dr. Clements said, uh, cause us to be involved in voter fraud, he said that. He said, uh, "I've got it right here." It, if he believes that and he can prove it, well, then tell me what we should do about it. Yeah, tell how do we me, fix it? That's right. And, yeah. and, and now, what would, what would I, what position would I be in if the Democrats in Congress, okay, passed HR one? And we have all mail-in ballots in this county. What am I going to do as the clerk? Okay, I'm going to resist it. We don't need mail-in ballots here. Okay, we need we need in-person voting as much as possible. We need to cut down the number of absentee ballots. We need to make sure the absentee ballot process is secure. Even Jennifer Locke said at Microflats, we need to tighten up on. Okay, now why would why would we need to tighten up on something if it's secure now? And I'm saying. You know what? The passage of time, uh, Jim's had health problems. Jennifer says she's working 67 hours a week, uh, 60 or 70 hours a week, which is way too much for any civil servant to work that, that much stuff. I'm really worried about her, uh, 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 you know, over, being overworked and overstressed in a time in which we should be planning and, uh, and doing the preemptory equipment and uh, systems uh, work we need to do to keep things safe. Well, and and that's I think that's very reasonable. Having been a white hat hacker, I was hired to test security vulnerabilities of company systems. I think that's a great idea. We should have our election system tested. We should hire people to try to crash the system. I think that's a brilliant idea. I I wholeheartedly support that idea. So. Now, obviously, in a 40-minute interview, we can't possibly cover everything. How do folks learn more about you and your campaign? Well, if you like what you've heard, if you're more interested uh, interested in hearing more, uh, go to my website, mikebowerforclerk.com. There's a number of uh, uh, interesting information sources on there that, uh, uh, that are uh, an interview and a historical document that describes some past 2019-era a voting machine failures and delays in election caused by consultants uh, who didn't who weren't able to do their job timely and delayed election results. There's a number of things that have happened in our elections office which public doesn't really need to know, but this was a window on. This is where they can go to get it. Now, yeah, they can that, get so it. So that was Mike Bauer for clerk F O R F O R and Mike Bauer I'll, for clerk all spelled together. And Mike I'll Bauer. include that com. as a link in the show notes. Okay. So just before we wrap up here, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to leave with the listeners? I'd just like to say that uh, for the first time in, uh, in a number of years, if you go back to the sheriff's election of 2020, which I participated in as, a, as an independent, but the primary there, there was no endorsements of any candidates at that time. Uh, Tom Luna, the ch- uh, chair of the uh, state GOP, uh, discourages uh, county uh, central committees or Republican central committees from endorsing candidates. This time it was done that the candidates you'll see on the uh, in, uh, recommended list handed to you down at the uh, elections office, not going to have my name on it. Okay. Uh, 
Tom Luna doesn't agree with that. I think that that's a change that uh, effectively reduces the number of people who can have an effect on the election. It's not just going to go to the voters. If, 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 just like Google search problems create certain outcomes, this is going to create an outcome. If and if you if if you're gonna if you're gonna follow theirs, you're probably going to miss out on some good candidates. Number two, uh, if uh, if, 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 you, if you think uh, that you're an independent voter and you think you're going to have any say in who your clerk, your assessor, I mean, your, your, uh, uh, yeah, your uh, assessor, uh, these county, if you, if you think you're wrong because you're, you have to register as a Republican before the end of Election Day in order to vote. So there's 30,000 people as independents in this county. Now, I'm sure they're proud of being independent. But they're not going to have any say whatsoever, practically speaking, because there's nobody else opposing after for the November election. Right. So if you want to have a say, you've got to go down and pull a Republican ballot, change your party from independent to Republican, and please stay a Republican. Would you please? And if you, but if you, if you don't want to, that's your business. But if you want to have a say, it's the only way you're going to have a say. Otherwise, who you get for the next four years in these offices, uh, you know, don't don't bellyache. Yeah. Well, Mike, thank you so much for taking time to come into Idaho Speaks. Ed, it's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. We've reached the end of the episode, but not the end of the issue. Please share this episode with your friends and family. If you have questions or would like to share your own issues and ideas, visit www.idahospeaks.com and click Share an Issue. Your state, your voice, Idaho Speaks.